podcast number 59, The Battle of Athens. One of the penalties of refusing to participate in politics is that you end up being governed by your inferiors. Plato. Flawedcast. Flawedcast. Get in the arena. Jason, what's good? Wait, 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 wait. What's good? You know what's funny is now that people that know me that hear, listen to our show, they now start calling me that. But they don't say it like you do. They say, hey, wee willy. And I'm thinking, wee willy. Yeah. And Unfortunately, Johnny's not with us. He's not here. I mean, he's definitely in spirit, but we don't know where he's at. He's uh, he's lost. So in his place, we have the one, the only Carl, Carl Tuckerson. Tuckerson. Hey, what's up, guys? Here's Coral. Good to be here thank, with you. Thank you for responding to our request back by popular demand. Right. Well, the assistant said, look at it this way. Having a good time on Flawedcast is what the goal is. So here I am. I'd rather have a good time on Flawedcast than a bad time. Let that sink in. What? What is that? Wait, what? What was Did that? Did you hear something? Hey, fellas. John? John? Hello? John, is that you? I couldn't be with you in person today. Where, where the hell is that coming from? Johnny, are, have, yeah, have you been abducted again? North. Look north towards the skies. Coming in live from the mothership. Oh, uh, he's been walking down the Nevada dirt road again that oh, I told man. him to stay away from. Uh, they got him. They got Did him your again. wife call aliens on you again? They, yeah, they, they, uh... You know, short-term memory, I, I start taking, retracing those old steps, and then next thing you know, they got me. Yeah, well, you know. Anyway, so do you have any great news from on high? Well, uh, the man with the rubber glove was surprisingly gentle. <laughs> he was a man? The, the thing? I thought he was the thing. The orb, the essence, the being, the, the presence. Light. Yeah, the light. Oh, yeah, e they got me blindfolded. I can't really see anything. E.T. was trying to phone home, I guess. <laughs> hey, it sounds like the cell service is really good from outer space up there. We need to check into the technology. My service has not been doing too well lately. If you so anyway, so we want to thank everybody for listening, tuning in. We got some, I would say this is probably more of a interesting history lesson, but we want to just get into the normal shaking out. A history lesson. A history lesson. Well, why would we teach someone a history lesson? Well, because I feel very much that this is a little known historical event that happened in America that may have a ton of relevance to our current situation that we find ourselves in. I'm almost deciphering that as history has a tendency to repeat itself. Uh, yes, as we say in several times in almost every episode. So this historical story, did they tear the statue down? There Actually, there was no statues. There was a plaque. But let's get into that in a moment. All right. Let's, sorry. That's okay. Let's, ahead of myself. let's just say we want to thank everybody for all the love, all the support. Our new episode, May You Live in Interesting Times, is killing it on Rumble. We are now on Rumble. Let's get I love ready that name, by the way. Rumble. I'm probably going to get sued for that. We are out one day. We have more listens on that platform than we did on YouTube and Spotify combined. So I'm pretty stoked about that. I got good. Um, <laughs> I, I hope that's good news. <laughs> I think it is good news. So nonetheless. I can't believe we broke 10,000 listens. Yeah. That's that, pretty awesome. It's not too bad. Not for some blokes like us. But anyway, so uh, we are on Rumble. So please subscribe there. That, I think, moving forward, I want us to migrate from YouTube to Rumble because we have not gotten any penalties. We've not gotten any warnings about hazardous or. Warning. 
Jason sent me a text last night. He goes, what is this? We got warnings on our episodes. They're like, yeah, yeah. Well, well, I went to share the episode and it said, warning, content includes COVID-19. Yeah. And there was also an election one too. We just got everybody triggered on the last, well, as we do on the last episode, but nonetheless. So we are on Rumble. Please subscribe there. Please share. We are also, for the time being, on YouTube. We're also on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you listen to podcasts, Flawcast, Flawcast CLE. We're on social media platforms. We're doing well on Parlor. We're doing well on Gab. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, Flawed Inc., Flawed Inc., CLE. Our website's flawedinc.com. You can email us at info at flawedinc.com or hit us up on our messengers on those social media platforms. Or you can also send a carrier pigeon. Carrier pigeon works. Send that to Jason's. And then also, I am excited... Oh, dude, I just had a brain fart. Yeah, well, you seem to remember a lot of information. Just I do. That was amazing. I need a vacation. We don't call we don't call him Will Willy Will for nothing. That's why he's got to have three names. Here you go. So as I thought it was because you were a stutterer. Today, Junior. Anyway, as our tradition, we're going to do the Pledge of Allegiance. Jason, right hand over your left heart, please. All right, and I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. One nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. So I want to share something real quick. Okay. I have a good friend of mine. He's a good friend of yours as well, Bill. We grew up together. And I finally talked him into listening to our episodes because he's been woke. And he calls up. He's like, dude, I just got done listening to your episode. And I had to pause it at the Pledge of Allegiance. And I just said the Pledge of Allegiance over and over. It's been so long since I said the Pledge of Allegiance, heard the Pledge of Allegiance. Wow. He goes, and I just thought about the words and thought about the words. And he's like, I cannot believe where we have gone. Wow. And it was really cool because I know we put the pledge in there. I know why we put the pledge in there. I didn't say anything. It was unsafe solicited that was his feedback see when i hear stuff like that that to me is worth like getting up at 6 a.m to do this right no that's a great story and i know who you're talking about and i want to personally say i missed you man and thank you for listening we appreciate the support but we're going to get into this appreciate everything you do over there in oregon yes and everything that you also do while you're undercover in the uh cia sandbox in the middle east anyway nonetheless so i want us to start to lay a foundation for this event in history it is called the battle of athens also known as the mcmahon County War. And this is something that was recently brought to my attention because there's a new book that's out. It's called The Fighting Bunch by a guy named Chris DeRose. Excellent book. And basically, we are going to be talking about the Battle of Athens. I think it has a lot of relevance now where we're at. But this is the most successful armed rebellion in America since the Revolutionary War. And this occurred right after World War II. But times of history are made by common men. And history, through that lens, makes common men appear to be great. The gentleman that we're going to talk about in this episode, and we look at our founding fathers, they were just men. The hand of providence were upon them. The Bible says that many are called, but the chosen are few. And I believe that these men that we are going to be talking about, and men that we often talk about, have responded to that calling. And history is just made by average men, average women, just people who are just going about their life and they see some sort of an injustice, some, they come against some kind of tyranny, and they stand up in opposition to it. I'm going to read one scripture, Nehemiah 4, 14, the Amplified Bible. It says, when I saw their fear, their fear, I stood and said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Confident. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and with courage from him, fight for your brothers and your sons, your daughters and your wives and your homes. That really resonated with me. And I was talking to Jason and Carl before, and I think Johnny through the telepathic psychic 
intergalactic sound waves must have picked up on it. The idea that we seem to hit this zeitgeist from time to time. And God shared this with me a couple of weeks ago, and I've been preparing this for a while about this. And a lot of people who I mentioned this to, you know, who I know are in the history. Hey, do you hear about this? Do you ever hear this? You know, and it's gone very under the radar, very unnoticeable in history until recently. So once again, this is called the Battle of Athens in McMinn County on the outskirts of Memphis, Tennessee. I really want to get into this and I want to start just talking about what happened. Like I said, this is going to be primarily a history lesson. There's going to be a lot of relevance to where we are right now. So I want people to take heart, to take courage that God is on the side of right always. And we need to seek to be on God's side. And I believe as we endeavor through these times, the more we press in to being on God's side, the more he's going to protect us, the more he's going to give us courage like Nehemiah is talking about. So what I want, we're all going to take turns. I'm going to ask Jason if he will start. All right. In 1959, we took a little hike with our scout master down to Likiniki Nike. We took a little pizza and we took some sauerkraut and we all marched together till we seen the Girl Scouts. I love it. Well, we, the boys of Camp Kukamaka, mother sent us here to study nature's way. Learn to make sparks by rubbing grommeting sticks together. If you get some girls, we'd set the woods aflame. Uh, were you in the Boy Scouts for real? Yeah. Eagle Life Scout. Scout. Life for life. Eagle, Eagle Scout? No. I missed Eagle by this much. I turned 16. I found women in beer, and that was, that was in the Boy Scouts. <laughs> but it was a hell of a four-year run. All right. In 1936, the E.H. Crump political machine based in Memphis, which controlled much of Tennessee, extended to McMinn County with the introduction of Paul Cantrell as a Democratic candidate for sheriff. What was he? The Democratic candidate for sheriff. Thank you. Cantrell, who came from a wealthy and influential family in nearby Etowah, tied his campaign closely to the popularity of the Roosevelt administration. And what were they? Democrats. Okay, please continue. Cantrell rode FDR's coattails to victory over his Republican opponent in what came to be known as the Vote Grab of 1936, which delivered McMinn County to Tennessee's Crump Machine. Paul Cantrell was re-elected sheriff in the 1938 and 1940 elections and was elected to the state Senate in 1940. 1942 and 1944, while his former deputy, Pat Mansfield, a transplanted Georgian, was elected sheriff those years. A state law enacted in 1941 reduced local political opposition to Crump's officials by reducing the number of voting precincts from 23 to 12 and reducing the number of justices of the peace from 14 to 7, including four Cantrell men. The sheriff and his deputies were paid under a fee system, whereby they received money for every person they booked, incarcerated, and and released. Because of this fee system, there was extensive fee grabbing from tourists and travelers. Buses passing through the county were often pulled over and passengers were randomly ticketed for drunkenness regardless of their intoxication or lack thereof. Between 1936 and 1946, these fees amounted to almost $300,000. That was 80 to 90 years ago, which was probably real money back then. I mean, I think it's real yeah. money now. But um, You know the one thing that just jumps out at me? The intent of running for the position. You go to its origin and to its seed. We are supposed to have politicians that serve us and represent us, correct? <laughs> 
Thus, the laughter. I think he sees where I'm going. The problem is, even back then, on a very small scale, in a smaller town, a smaller county, even in 1936, you see people who were supposed to serve the people, and it was all about self-serving. That was the only reason that they ran for that position, sure. was right. to serve their self. I think what you just said there perfectly is exemplified of what Plato said. One of the penalties of refusing to participate in politics is that you end up being governed by inferiors. The reality is this. We, this this government hasn't been by the people, for the people, whatever. Of, of the by, people. Of, by, and for. Don't, don't bind us. You know the thing. <laughs> you, the know, people, you know the thing, man. Come on, man. Of the people, by the people, for the people, since 1776. That's my belief. I, ever since. I ever can make since, an argument since. All right, maybe a little bit since, longer. I'm being sarcastic. Yeah, I know what you're saying. I'm just saying. Yeah, but as soon has as, the curtain ever been pulled back in history like it is now? Have you ever seen every layer of government from the top all the way down? Not, not since reveal its self. Not since well, and the 1770s. This is why we're seeing now even local people, local flunkies are having a effect, not just nationally, but internationally. So, Carl, can you go ahead and pick up where Jason left off, please? Absolutely. Citizens of McMinn County had long been concerned about political corruption and possible election fraud, though some of the complaints, especially at first, may have been partisan carping. The U.S. Department of Justice had investigated allegations of election fraud in 1940, 1942, and 1944, but had not taken action. I'd like to just stop there for a second. In the last four years, this is familiar, about investigations and not taking action. So again, it's nothing new. Voter fraud and vote control perpetuated McMinn County's political problems. Manipulation of the poll tax and vote counting were the primary methods, but it was common for dead voters' votes to be counted in McMinn County elections. As well as four other states in 2020. Wow. The political problems were further entrenched by economic corruption of political figures enabled by the gambling and bootlegging they permitted. Most of McMahon County's young men were off fighting World War II, allowing appointment of some ex-convicts as deputies. These deputies furthered the political machine's goal and exerted control over the citizens of the county. While the machine controlled law enforcement, its control also extended to the newspapers and schools. When asked if the local newspaper, the Daily Postal Athenian, supported the GI's veteran Bill White replied, no, they didn't help us none. White elaborated, Mansfield had complete control of everything, schools and everything else. You couldn't even get hired as a school teacher without their okay or any other job. Was this a test run for, for now? Is this a test run for what they're going to do with the whole country? Well, Johnson, are you coming in there? Can you hear us? I'm still with you. Okay, you want to take this next little bit here and read? Uh, yeah. All right, Johnny, grip it and rip it, brother. During the war, two servicemen on leave were shot and killed by Cantrell supporters. The servicemen of McMinn County heard of what was going on and were anxious to return home and do something about it. According to a contemporaneous article by Theodore H. White in Harper's Magazine, one veteran named Ralph Dugan, who has served in Pacific in the Navy and became a leading lawyer post-war, thought a lot more about McMinn County than he did about the Japs. 
In fact, if democracy was good enough to put on the Germans and the Japs, it was good enough McMinn County too. The scene was ripe for a confrontation when McMinn County's GIs were demobilized. When they arrived home and the deputies targeted the returning GIs, one reported a lot of boys getting discharged were getting the mustering out pay. Well, deputies running around four or five at a time, grabbing up every GI they could find and trying to get that money off of them. They were fee grabbers. They wasn't on a salary back then. In the August 1946 election, Paul Cantrell ran again for sheriff, while Pat Mansfield ran for the state Senate seat. Stephen Byram, a local historian, speculates that the reason for this was an attempt to spread the graft. Bill White, meanwhile, claims the reason for the swap was because they thought Cantrell stood a better chance running against the GIs. The GIs were more hostile towards Sheriff Mansfield and his deputies than against Cantrell, whose period as sheriff had been relatively benign. McMinn County had around 3,000 returning military veterans, constituting almost 10% of the county's population. Some of the returning veterans resolved to challenge Cantrell's political control by fielding their own nonpartisan candidates and working for a fraud-free election. A meeting was called in May of 1946. Veteran ID was required for admission. A nonpartisan slate of candidates was selected. Veteran Bill White described the veterans' motivation. There were several beer joints and honky-tonks around Athens. We were pretty wild. We started having trouble with the law enforcement at the time because they started making a habit of picking up GIs and finding them heavily for most anything. They were kind of making a racket out of it. After long, hard years of service, most of us were hardcore veterans of World War II. We were used to drinking our liquor and our beer without being molested. When these things happened, the GIs got madder. The more GIs they arrested, the more they beat up, the madder we got. Carl. The members of the GI Nonpartisan League were very careful to make their list of candidates match the electoral demographics of the county, choosing three Republicans and two Democrats. A respected and decorated veteran of the North African campaign, Knox Henry stood as candidate for sheriff in opposition to Contrell. Large contributions made by local businessmen to the GI's campaign ensured that it was well-funded. Although many of McMinn County citizens believed the machine would rig the election, the veterans capitalized on this belief with the slogan, Your Vote Will Be Counted as Cast. Well aware of the methods of Sheriff Mansfield and his associates, the league organized a counterpoise. A fighting bunch was organized by Bill White to keep the thugs from beating up GIs and keep them from taking the election. White created his organization carefully. He later recalled, I got out and started organizing with a bunch of GIs. Well, spirits, I learned that you get the poor boys out of poor families and the ones that was frontline warriors that done fighting and didn't care to bust a cap on you. I learned to do that, so that's what I picked. I took 30 men and I took what mustering out pay I got and bought pistols. And some of them had pistols. I had 30 men organized. Sheriff Mansfield also organized for the upcoming election, hiring 200 deputies, most from neighboring counties, some from out of state, at $50 a day, which is equivalent to $656 in 2019. All right, Johnny. All righty. Polls for the county election opened August 1st, 1946, the year of our Lord. Normally, there were about 15 patrolmen on duty for the precincts. 
but about 200 armed deputies were on patrol for that election, many of them from other counties and states. In Etowah, a GI poll watcher requested a ballot box to be opened and certified as empty. Although he was allowed by law to make that request, he was arrested and taken to jail. In Athens, Walter Ellis protested irregularities in the election and was also arrested and charged with what was explained to him as federal offense. Around 3 p.m., C.M. Windy Wise, a patrolman, prevented an elderly African-American farmer, Tom Gillespie, from casting his ballot at the Athens Waterworks polling place. When Gillespie and a T.I. poll watcher objected, Wise struck Gillespie with brass knuckles, which caused Gillespie to drop his ballot and run from the deputy. Wise then pulled his pistol and shot Gillespie in the back. Later, Wise was the only person to face charges from the events of August 1st and 2nd in the year 1946. He was sentenced to one to three years in prison. Jason, GIs gathered in front of L.L. Schaefer's store, which was used as an office by campaign manager Jim Buttram. Buttram had telegraphed Governor McCord in Nashville and U.S. Attorney General Tom Clark asking for help in ensuring a lawful election, but received no response. When the group learned that Sheriff Mansfield had sent armed guards to the polling place, they convened at the SN K garage where they decided to arm themselves. Sheriff Mansfield arrived at the waterworks and ordered the poll closed. In the commotion that followed, Wise and Carl Nell, the deputies inside the waterworks, took two poll watchers, Charles Scott and Ed Vestal, captive. By one account, Scott and Vestal jumped through a glass window and fled to the safety of the crowd while Wise followed behind. By another account, there was a gun-drawn confrontation between Jim Bertrand, who was accompanied by Scott's father, and Sheriff Mansfield. A third account argues that when Neil Esminger from the Daily Post Athenian showed up to get a vote count, his arrival was a distraction that allowed Scott and Vestal to break through a door and to escape. In any case, the escape was followed by gunfire, which sent the crowd diving for cover. Someone in the crowd yelled, let's go get our guns, causing the crowd to head for the SNK garage. Deputy Chief Bo Dunn took the two deputies and the ballot box to the jail. Two other deputies were dispatched to arrest Scott and Vestal. These deputies were disarmed and detained by the GI as were a set of reinforcements. GI advisor, Republican election commissioner, and Republican Party chairman Otto Kennedy asked Bill White what he was going to do. White said, I don't know, Otto. We might just kill them. According to White, Kennedy grew alarmed and announced, Oh Lord, oh Lord, oh Lord. No, I'm not having nothing else to do with this. Me and my brother and my son-in-law is leaving here. Lones Selber, an American heritage magazine, says Kennedy left vowing to have no part in murder. The crowd and most GIs left. The remaining GIs took the seven deputies deputies turned hostage to a woods 10 miles from Athens, stripped them, tied them to a tree, and beat them. At the 12th precinct, the GI poll watchers were Bob Harrell and Leslie Dooley, a one-armed veteran of the North African Theater. The polling place was commanded by Mansfield Mans minus Wilburn. Wilburn tried to let a young woman, who Harrell believed was underage, vote. She had no poll tax receipt and was not listed in the voter registration. Harrell grabbed Wilburn's wrist. Then he tried to deposit the ballot in the box. Wilborn struck Harold on the head with a blackjack and kicked him in the face. Wilborn closed the precinct. He took the GIs and ballot box across the street to the jail. Harold was brutally beaten and was taken to the hospital. In response to cussing and taunts from the deputies, and the actions so far that day. Bill White, leader of the Fighting Bunch, told his lieutenant, Edsel Underwood, to take five or six men, break into the National Guard armory to steal weapons. The GIs 
took the front door keys from the caretaker and entered the building. Then they armed themselves with 60 30-06 infilled rifles, two Thompson submachine guns, and ammo. Lone's Selber says White went for the guns himself. Bill White then distributed the rifles and bandolier of ammo to each of the 60 GIs. All right, Johnny. All right. As the polls closed and counting began, minus, of course, the three boxes taken to the jail, the GI-backed candidates had a 3-1 to one lead. When the GIs heard the deputies had taken the ballot boxes to the jail, Bill White exclaimed, boy, they doing something. I'm glad they done that. Now all we gotta do is whip on the jail. The GIs recognized that they had broken the law and that Cantrell would likely receive reinforcements in the morning. So the GIs felt the need to resolve the situation quite quickly. The deputies knew little of the battle tactics, but the GIs knew them very well. By taking the second floor of the bank across the street from the jail, the GIs were able to return fire from the jail with a barrage from above. By 9 p.m., Paul Cantrell, Pat Mansfield, George Woods, Speaker of the State House of Representatives and Secretary of McMinn County Election Commission, and about 50 deputies were in the jail, allegedly rummaging through the ballot boxes. Woods and Mansfield constituted majority of the Election Commission and could therefore certify and validate the count from within the jail itself. Estimates of the number of veterans besieging the jail vary from several hundred to as high as 2,000. Bill White had at least 60 under his command. White split his group with Bucklanders taking up positions at the bank over overlooking the jail while White took the rest of the post office. Just as estimates of people involved varied widely, accounts of how the Battle of Athens began and its course of events diverge. Egerton and Williams recall that when the men reached the jail, it was barricaded and manned by 55 deputies. The veterans demanded the ballot boxes but were refused. They then opened fire on the jail, initiating a battle that lasted several hours by some accounts, considerably less by others. As Lones Selber, author of a 1985 American Heritage Magazine article wrote, Opinions differ on exactly how the challenge was issued. White says he was the one to call it out. Would you damn bastards bring those damn ballot boxes out here, or we are going to set siege against the jail and blow it down? Automatic weapons fire erupted, punctuated by shotgun blasts. I fired the first shot, White claimed. Then everybody started shooting from our side. A deputy ran from the jail. I shot him. He wheeled and fell inside the jail. In 2000, Bill White claimed, he said, boy, I'm going to tell them to bring the ballot box out here, and if they don't, we're going to open up on them. I hollered in there. I said, you damn thief grabbers, bring them damn ballot boxes out of there. That's just what I said. He didn't make a move down there, and finally one of them said, I got to hurt a bolt click. Down there, one of them grabbers did. You know, they started scattering around, and I had a pistol in my belt with a shotgun. I had a shotgun and a rifle, and I pulled the pistol out and started firing down there at them. Well, when I did that, all that whole lineup, there started firing down in there. A lot of them got in the jail. Some of them didn't. Some of them got shot laying outside, and the battle started. Byram wrote in 1984 that there was a volley of fire that lasted for several hours, although gives no exact time for the end of the hostilities or an account of the course of the battle. He noted that the deputies surrendered at 3.30 a.m. The day after the battle, the New York Times front page reported a sheriff had been killed and that the shooting had started with a shot through a jail window and with the demand the hostages be released. Then, the Times reported the deputies refused and the siege ensued. The account followed, revealing the Times source as Lowell F. Asterburn, publisher of Athens Post-Athenian, after
afterburn reported shots being fired. 2,000 persons milling around and at least a score of fist fights were in progress. An attempt by deputies outside the jail to reinforce or take refuge in the jail was thwarted by Bill White's fighting band. Some people in the jail managed to escape out the back door. One of the escapees was George Woods, who had telephoned Birch Biggs, the boss of next door Polk County, requesting that Biggs send reinforcements to break the siege. Biggs replied, do you think I'm crazy? For the veterans, it was either win before morning or face long time in jail for violating local, state, and federal laws. Rumors spread that the National Guard or state troopers were coming. White made hourly demands for surrender. The GIs attempted to bombard the jail with Molotov cocktails, but were not able to throw them far enough to reach the jail. The GIs decided to resort to dynamite. At about that time, an ambulance pulled up to the jail. The GIs assumed it was called to remove the wounded and held their fire. Two men jumped in and sped off, carrying Paul Cantrell and Sheriff Mansfield to safety out of town. Then the dynamite was deployed. Bill White said, we'd put two or three sticks of dynamite together and tape it together and put a cap in there and a fuse. We'd rear back and throw them. Well, we couldn't get them all the way to the jail, but we got them out to them cars. They'd blow them cars up in the air and turn them over and land them back on top. Several cars down there were blown up. The first bomb landed under Bob Dunn's cruiser, flipping it on its back. Bill White, commander of the fighting bunch, knew the GIs had to do better. I said, we're going to have to get some charges up there on that jail. I said, make a couple charges there. We'll go down there and we'll place some charges. So I made up a couple of charges and I crawled up and put a charge on the jailhouse porch. In fact, three bombs went off almost simultaneously. One destroyed Mansfield's car. One landed on the jail porch roof, and one went off against the jail wall. The bombs caused some damage to the jail and scattered debris. As with the beginning of the battle, accounts of the end differ. American Heritage states, in the end, the door of the jail was dynamited and breached. The barricaded deputies, some with injuries, surrendered, and the ballot boxes were recovered. The New York Times observed in an article the night was bloody and that it ended after the GIs detonated three homemade demolition charges. Johnson. All right. Byron reported that the end of the battle thusly by 3.30 a.m., the men holding the jail had been dynamited into submission. And by early morning, George Woods was calling Ralph Dugan to ask if he could come to Athens and certify the election of the G.I. slate. Bill White reported that when the G.I.s broke into the jail, they found some of the tally sheets marked by the machine that had been scored 15 to 1 for the Cantrell forces. When the final tally was completed, Knox Henry was elected. During the fight of the jail, rioting had broke out in Athens, mainly targeting police cars. This continued after the ballot boxes were recovered, but subsided by morning. The mob also destroyed automobiles for the deputies, many bearing out-of-state plates. During the disorder, the mayor of Athens was on vacation, and the city policemen were, of course, nowhere to be found. The morning of August 2nd found the town very quiet. Some minor acts of revenge happened. But the public mood was one of euphoria that had not been experienced in Mid County in a very long time. Governor McCord initially moved to activate the National Guard, but quickly rescinded that order. The morning saw the GIs call a meeting. GI nonpartisan league treasurer Harry Johnson opened the meeting, ob- observing it was necessary because, for some reason or other, the sheriff force is not around. I wonder the why. approximately 400 persons in the courtroom elected a special committee headed by a Methodist minister, Bernie Hampton, joined by C.A. Anderson, 
and Gabo Cartwright, both members in the business's men's evangelical committee to preserve law and order. George Woods, the escaped secretary of the county election commission, sent a written missive saying, Next Monday at 10 a.m., I will sign an election certificate certifying that the GI ticket was later the veterans turned responsibility for maintaining order in Athens to police chief Herbert Walker. The GI said that they were still holding control of McMinn County until September 1st when Knox Henry was to be installed as the sheriff. August 2nd also saw the return to McMinn County of Sheriff-elect Knox Henry, who has spent the night of August 1st and 2nd in safekeeping in the Sweetwater Jail. Sheriff Henry, a 33-year-old former Army Air Force sergeant, observed, they were going to kill me yesterday, and I had to leave town. The recovered ballots certified the election of the five GI nonpartisan league candidates. Among the reforms instituted was a change in the method of payment and a $5,000 salary cap for officials. In the initial momentum of victory, Gambling houses in collusion with the Cantrell regime were raided and their operations demolished. Deputies of the prior administration resigned and were replaced. The ballots, when tallied, proved a landslide for the GI nonpartisan league. Scores of veterans were present when Speaker of the State House of Representatives and Secretary of the McMinn County Election Commissioners George Woods was marched into the county courthouse under the guard of ex-GIs. Speaker Woods had fled after the gun battle. League member Knox Henry received received 2,175 votes against 1,270 for Sheriff Cantrell. The league also won the other races, 2,194 to 1,270 for Frank Carmichael as trustee. George Painter won the county clerk race, 2,175 to 1,198. The circuit court clerk broke 2,165 to 1,197 for Charles Pickett. Bill White, leader of the Fighting Bunch, was made a sheriff's deputy because one of the reasons they put me in as deputy was to scare them GIs. They wanted me to control the GIs, which they did. They fired into them people's houses and everything else. And that was my job to get out there and keep them from shooting them people's houses and beating up people. My fists got so sore I couldn't stick them in my pocket. If you fight them with your fists, they had respect for you. But you didn't use blackjacks or guns on them. If you did, they gang up on you and kill you. According to Deputy Bill White, the fee basis for deputy pay continued for four more years. It was only the last four years he served that he was paid a salary. In early September, the fall of the county political machine was followed by the resignation of Athens Mayor Paul Walker and the town's four aldermen. The resignations met with popular approval. The resignations came after a nighttime shotgun blast through the front of Alderman Hugh Riggs' home. Mayor Walker had previously refused a demand to resign made immediately after the gunfight by the McMinn County American Legion and VFW posts. The Battle of Athens was followed by movements of veterans in other Tennessee counties promoting a statewide coalition against corrupt political machines in the upcoming November elections. Governor McCord countered an attempt to form a nonpartisan GI political league by directing the Young Democrats clubs of Tennessee to recruit ex-GIs. There were strenuous efforts by the Crump organization based in Shelby County to counter the nascent GI organization. A convention was held in Alamo, Tennessee with the intention of establishing a new national party. The convention was discouraged by General Evans Carl USMC, who argued that the GIs should work through the existing political parties. The new GI government of Athens quickly encountered challenges including the re-emergence of old party loyalties. On January 4, 1947, four of the five leaders of the GI Nonpartisan League declared an open letter. We abolished one machine only to replace it with another and more powerful one in the making. The GI government in Athens eventually collapsed. Tennessee's GI political movement quickly faded in politics 
in the state return to normal. The nonpartisan GI Political League replied to inquiries by veterans elsewhere in the United States with the advice that shooting it out was not the most desirable solution to political problems. All right, fellas, so that was the story of the Battle of Athens, the McMinn County War, McMinn County, Tennessee, near Memphis. And can any of you tell me why you think that story is so prevalent to us right now? Oh, maybe it's because of what we're going through as a country. Okay. We feel the same way. I mean, they felt, even though it was just a county and it was their city and it was small, they felt like their vote didn't matter. Well, their party's tagline or motto was, your vote will be counted, which speaks volumes to, like you said, where we're at. And I, th- the Democratic thing- Party has a very similar slogan. It the- says something like, your vote will be counted the way we want it to, and so will a bunch of dead people's. It's Much- a very similar slogan. Well, you have to realize that the one thing the Democratic Party does, other than being racist, other than segregation, other than discrimination, is they steal elections. How come the only issues we have are in the handful of states that couldn't finish their counting on time? And how come those states are the only ones that couldn't finish their counting on time? I mean, it's unbelievable. Well, how come those states in the middle of the count, in the middle of the night, stopped? They're the only ones. By right, the way. right. Thank you guys for reading that. So I'm going to read just a couple real brief articles. I think I might just hit the headlines here. Pelosi wants her House election losses overturned by Perkins Cole. Democrats forgot about the House when they were packing the suitcases. This is an article from Gateway Pundit. Long and short of it, they didn't really focus on stealing the House, although I, I believe they did. Basically, now Pelosi's like, hey, you know, the 15 seats that we lost in the House, we want those back. You know, it's just the absolute hubris I mean, in this. We should I, just get to her. Right. I'm going to share this other one, which I think kind of coincides with this little tale of history. It says it's time for mass civil disobedience against lawless lockdown orders. We will be talking about the Rona, but it all ties in to me. All one part of one big illicit global cabal to kneecap America and destroy our citizen republic. Uh, this says, by now it should be obvious that elected state and local officials issuing COVID-19 lockdown and stay-at-home orders are just just making things up as they go along. Too often their edicts aren't based on science or data, but on a grotesque understanding of their own authority and infallibility. In the face of a worsening pandemic, they want to be seen doing something, taking bold actions to stop the spread of the virus. That is so long as it doesn't hurt certain favored special interests. That's why Americans living under arbitrary and unconstitutional laws lockdown orders should simply ignore them in mass and act of civil disobedience. I actually, this was worded very similar to how I would word an article. I'm going to share a couple quotes real quick, and I'm going to share uh, one more scripture. Uh, 2 Chronicles 32, 7 to 8, this is the NIV. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because the king of Assyria and his vast army with him, for there is a greater power with us than with him. With him is only arms of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles and the people gain confidence from Hezekiah the king of Judah. I'm going to also read this in the Amplified. It says be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be dismayed because of the king of Syria nor because of the army that is with him for the one with us is greater than the one with him. With him there is only arms of flesh but with us is the Lord our God to help us and fight our battles and the people relied on the words of Hezekiah king of Judah. I mean I think the picture here, and, and also with that scripture in Nehemiah, is God is going to fight our battles. The idea that being righteous doesn't necessarily mean that we sit on the sideline 
I think actually in this hour of history, it's quite the contrary. As we saw during the Revolutionary War, and now we are learning about this, by and large, hidden event in American history, the Battle of Athens, Tennessee, we see that tyranny, corruption, the idea of coming to steal, kill, and destroy was thwarted by men who just stood up and said no. And the sobriety of the hour that we are living in is really hitting me. Jason and I were talking, he's like, you know, my wife just said to me the other day, she goes, everything Bill's been saying is coming to pass. And it's like, there's this sickening thing in my stomach where it's like, I feel sick because, you know, there's an old quote that said, that which we feared most has now come upon us. And the other thing is that you're only being probably re-edified inside your spirit that you feel you know what's coming in the future yes. and based off of what you predicted in the past you're probably more sure about what's coming in the future and that in itself is probably unsettling for you because you did predict what we're going through now months ago yeah i love the way you put that carl this sense of foreboding like i keep hearing people as 2020 the end draws nigh there's this collective sense of hope that these lockdowns will be done oh pfizer approved the vaccine oh this this and this what my spirit tells me is that 2020 was an hors d'oeuvre and the main dish is soon going to be served. Your spirit may tell you that, but my brain tells me 2021 is going to be like, hey, 2020, hold my beer. Well, could I just say something here? Yeah. The thing that, you know, you were talking about unsettling and knowing what the future would hold based on you being accurate about what you predicted from the past and it's coming forth. I'm unsettled in my stomach and spirit because I know the only thing that needs to be evident in our life is unity. And the problem is the only unity that I am seeing is in the Democratic Party. And that is so upsetting to me because within Christian realms, within the Republican Party, within families, within circles of friends, in society, there's nothing but division, separate thought, uncertainty, fear, and it's like that can't exist well, within us thought. to rise up against Separate tyranny. thought is okay. The problem is... Warning! Warning! Don't down for the city! Sound off! If you don't think like me, then we can't even talk. That's the problem, yes. is the reluctance to be open and hear what other people have to say. And it be okay that other people have a different point of view than you. That's the part that makes me sick. I have not deleted a single person from Facebook. And I don't fire back when they say things that are against my perspective that I don't believe in. No matter if I know it's a fact or not, I don't get into that. And the reason being is I do everything I feel comfortable with sharing my beliefs, my opinions. And I'm not going to hate my brothers and sisters because... Because they think differently than me. Because they feel differently than me. That's totally fine. That's their opinion. I yeah, I think the Carl's larger point is when we're talking in communities of faith, there should be a camaraderie. There should be a bond united through the spirit. The problem now is, and I can address this because I've been very critical about leaders in the church. I have been very, very critical because I think we as people of faith need to hold these people to standard to account, much like we do our elected employees well, you just government. People of faith, that's a huge problem. That's a well, big problem with the unity piece. Is, I, well, is I just had, I just, we had just a, keep kicking God to the curb, man. The, 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 I understand. I just had a three-hour conversation last night with a spiritualist who listens to our podcast, and I felt more of a connection and a camaraderie in regards to things that we discuss than I do with most Christians right now. It makes me wonder. It's because there's a lot of posers out there. 
Well, no. unity should be redefined. If I could have my Carl Tuckerson dictionary, mm -hmm. I would define unity as this, the thread that connects those that disagree. And so you are talking about disagreeing. You and I may not agree on everything. Now, in reality, we were created to have disagreements because it gives a different perspective, which gives different options, which is used in different time periods. So disagreements are a beautiful thing. They're a wonderful thing. They are a God thing, but they must be woven together with unity. Unity is not existing right now anywhere other than the Democratic Party. I agree with exactly what you just said there. And think about this. This is what the two-party system has done to us. That thread is broke because if you're Republican, you must think this. If you're a Democrat, this is what you must believe. And it's all or nothing. Things have to be rigid enough to last, but flexible enough not to break. And all we have is rigidity, 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 all or nothing kind of thing. And it breaks. And it reminds me of how the church was and why I get, why I didn't stick with the church from when I was a kid because of what they said you had to. And I thought like there's something wrong about it. This is where I said the term a minute ago, poser. Think about what they used to say with posers. It reminds me of that movie, um, Wild Hogs. And uh, what's his name? He keeps calling them posers. But I think we have a lot of that going on in the church. I'm sure of it. I mean, I don't know if you agree or disagree, but the posers, people, you know. I would say this. I would say the figurehead or the symbol that Trump is in the Republican Party, that kind of a revolt or that revolution is very much needed in the church. The problem is, is that by and large, most of the leaders in the church have been corrupted. They have been deceived by these Luciferian belief system that has infiltrated. And quite frankly, same thing happened to political politicians. Well, right, right. And this is why, and even people in the quote unquote church rail against Trump, because in Second Thessalonians, it says that they will be given over to a great deception. And I personally believe we're there. And I can't say anything to anybody anymore that I'm beginning to realize that is going to make a difference. It's the consistency in the lifestyle I live and the consistency in what we do here. And also, I would say with spiritual foresight that God's given us, to be able to think three-dimensionally, which is I think is another thing a lot of people have forgotten. You know, when you're playing chess, you don't necessarily think on that move you're about to make. You need to forecast what your opponent's going to do two to three moves ahead and that you have different strategies and different routes that you can move forward to try to win. We have simply forgotten that. It goes back to the idea we've been talking what to think, not how to think. Johnny, are you still with us? I am indeed still with you, sir. Okay, can you read those last couple quotes? Absolutely. I Just speaking to what you guys were just talking about. Hey, John, that's weird. That glass looks half full to me. Wow. Now that you mention it, it is half full. followers of Christ is to measure things by the rod of, of truth, which is the word of God. So when it comes to discerning truth and how we are to live our lives is to compare everything by the measuring stick of the word of God and to use discernment there. So there's a lot of things that can be debated back and forth as wh whether they are truthful or whether they are not. Our job is to measure everything by the word of God. So that'd be my thoughts to what you were just speaking of a second ago. We'll get to the quotes one by a certain Thomas Jefferson states the following, when injustice becomes law, resistance becomes duty. I feel like I need to read that one again. When injustice becomes law, resistance becomes duty. Even the aliens up here in the ship are really digging that one. I mean, it's almost like Thomas Jefferson lived through a period of time that we're living through right now. Yeah. Really strange. The lives of the founding fathers, they didn't all get along. The Constitutional Convention was full of distinction and full of frustration. It 
it is only by the hand of providence that this nation was created and had such a idyllic experiment in self-governance that has lasted as long as it has. Well, well, this is the thing. What you just said right there ties right back to what Carl just said about the definition in Carl Tucker's dictionary about unity. And what was that again? Thread. Unity is the common thread that weaves together disagreements. Mm-hmm. Right. And I mean, that's what you're saying when you talk about that. Word to the mother. That was nice. Look, yeah. I tied something together, Bill. No, you There's did. You're learning. In the room. There is. We're, I think we're all pretty much unified. No, definitely. Normally. I mean, I don't like Carl at all. No. But yet I sit next to him and use donuts. Exactly. The, and, and he I drinks drink, the coffee. Yes. Yeah, yeah, so there's Jason's unity. Coffee. And I heard the cats. All right, Johnny. <laughs> We're going to read a quote from a very popular science fiction movie. This is to quote Sir Morpheus from The Matrix. The Matrix is a system, you know. That system is our enemy. But when you're inside, you look around. What do you see? Businessmen, teachers, lawyers, carpenters, the very minds of the people we are trying to save. But until we do, these people are still part of a system that makes them the enemy. You have to understand, most of these people are not ready to be unplugged. And many of them are so inert, so hopelessly dependent on the system that they will fight to protect it. Boom. That's not happening. I love the story of these men. You know, Bill White is, to me, an unsung American here in many regards and I am so glad that I was able to find this bring this to our attention and I want to be able to plant some seeds in people that and it's a it's a real difficult thing because I don't want violence I don't want bloodshed I don't want there to be a episode where a engagement of arms could happen I think if we learn anything from this particular episode in American history we can learn it emphasizes saying by Sir Edmund Burke, all you need for evil to succeed is for good men to do nothing. Correct. And this will probably get us banned off of YouTube, but that's fine. We can now find us on Rumble. We have had an election stolen from us. If this stands, there's no point ever voting for anything again. We now see the absolute corruption starting from the local level going all the way to the highest seat in our land. And we see that there's a history of the Democratic Party that did do and does do this. Now, you all also see in the story a history of the Republican Party being a bunch of cowards hightail and running it out when the battle starts. So you need good men who will stand up and say no, link shoulders and say as Nehemiah did, God is with us. God is fighting our fight and we need to rely on him. And I hope you learned something from this lesson. I want to hear what you guys have to say because I've spent three weeks mulling this over, digesting this, and I've taken it in and it's in a place in my heart that I'm going to think on often. Well, I would like to say I think complicity is the most paralyzing tool that we are using on ourselves right now. I don't think that it is a lot of other things. Everything that is happening that is bad, everything that is happening that is evil, that is going unattested is happening because of one thing, people complying. And you don't have to be violent to not comply. I'm going to say this, and then I'm going to end. I have never taken a human life. I know people that have, and I've talked to them. And the one thing that each one said, not knowing the other one said it, is that when you take a human life, there's no going back. Well, what did that mean? What that meant was the moment that that happens, you're never the same, and you cannot undo it, and you cannot unchange it, and you will always carry that scar, whether you were justified or not. And so I think that before things get to that point, okay, like they did in this county, the first thing that has to happen 
for complicity to be defeated is a unity must happen within family, friends, and the church. I'm not asking for too much for you to be able to listen, to accept the disagreements, and work through it to be unified. Find the things you can agree on and let the common thread be unity because we don't want to go to places that we may have to go if this continues because if you go there, there's no going back. Carl, thanks for sharing that. I, that I think quantifies something I was trying to express. Obviously, you have more of an intimate connection to resources, I would say, than I do in that respect. So I think that's a great perspective. And that's why I would hope that this could be a lesson that we can avoid. Johnny, what do you have in closing? Carl, I, I really love what you just brought there. It really ties in well with what the uh, aliens up here probed into my brain. When I spoke earlier to, you know, measuring things, absolute truths, you know, the word of God, and you said, uh, in your words, I don't want to misquote you, but you said there are times where we're going to have contrary thoughts. But what's more important is that we need to act under the spirit of unity. Is that how you spoke that, Carl? Yes. That's about keeping the main thing the main thing. There are seasons where obviously we know things are contrary to Scripture, and we know things are contrary to the absolute Word of God. And those are going to be seasons that we probably will have to deal with. But we have to remember we have brothers and sisters out there that we need to get on board with first because when the crap hits the fan, if we are not lockstep together, we are an army divided, and an army divided will fall every time. So I guess my encouragement would be with people who are going to be like-minded, people who are going to follow the scripture, who are going to follow the truths, try and get past the things that aren't imperative so that you guys can focus together on the things that you do share a common vision and a common unity on. Couldn't and have said I it better myself. My time to Sir Jason. My fear is, and I've really pushed against this and pushed against this and pushed against this. And it's funny, like I feel like Bill and I are swapping roles. All of a sudden, Bill's like, "If we don't correct this, we don't correct this." And it used to be, "There's no correcting it. There's no correcting it." Now I'm the, "There's no correcting it." Like the bottom line is this: we have have people that have been voted on by the people of this country to serve on our behalf in our government. And I'm talking about everything from local all the way up to federal, who have multiple, many of these folks deceived us, who have shit on the Constitution, who are in it simply for themselves, like they don't believe in this country at all. They don't believe in what this country stands for. They don't believe in what the Constitution stands for. And they're trying hard to shred that Constitution. They're ignoring it for the most part already, blatantly in front of all of our faces, changing this country for the worse. And this country is, again, as we said before, of the people, for the people, by the people. So with that said, since we're the people, we can't sit back and watch and be okay with what's happening. And they've made it very clear. We're trying to do things in the peaceful way. We're trying to do things orderly through our courts and everything else. And it's a sham. You know, people are being bought. People are being threatened. People are being killed. There is too much coincidence to be coincidence. Enough. Enough, enough, enough. Quit putting your head in the sand and saying, oh, no, oh, that's not true. Oh, geez. Quit it. Folks, we're here. You don't understand. This is bad. We're in a spot that once I found out that we have entire battle fleets on both sides of our country protecting the Atlantic and the Pacific. And we got China on our... And we have China in Canada. And, and I think it's extremely possible that we have Chinese army in Mexico as well. Well, we don't... I have just, no doubt about it. We don't... Here, Here's something that I have found out from my resources. We 
don't just have China within Canada. China has been handed over the top secret information about the operation, about the defense strategy of other countries. Sure. And when you have that, you know that chess game you were talking about where you're not, you know, you're willing mm -hmm. to sacrifice a pawn because you understand mm -hmm. he's your guy and you hate to lose him. But you're looking at five steps ahead where you're getting ready to take the bishop. Right. The worst thing in the world you want to do is give the enemy your playbook for defending your freedom. Yeah, and I mean, ultimately, it's just time to wake up. It's time to wake up those around you. It, it, we really have to help them understand, not hate them for not believing us, that but we matrix, have to get them to understand. It's like understand. the Matrix quote. There's so many people that are still plugged in. They're not ready. It, it's not that there's a role reversal. Having been a lover of history all my life and understanding the absolute, not firsthand, but through educating myself, the horror of war, the hell. War is hell. I don't want that. No one does. I, I, but like Carl was saying, our complicity is it's not like we're strolling towards that. We are hammer shot. That's why I rail. Yes. That's why I rail against things like do not comply with the face mask. Do not comply with that because this is all part of it. You know, it, do conditioning, not condition and condition and condition. Exactly. And this is where we find ourselves. And quite frankly, right now for me, I feel like for us, it's a matter of self-preservation because as we know, we have already been blocked, you know, this or this or this. I fully expect that if the regime gets in the office, we are going to see heroes like people I I look up to Alex Jones, Tucker Carlson, uh, the whole entire Trump family. They, it's these not going to happen. They're like going to be though. military tribunals. They're going to publicly. No, it is. They're probably. I, I hear what defend, you're saying, but I'm saying it's us. It's everybody. In, in no, the I vaccine, understand. What I'm here. saying is, it's not, we're not going to sit back and comply. But so us, no. But others will. The call is to waken others, to, you know, be Morpheuses as it will. Like, hey, here's a red pill. There is a narrow amount of time that you have to not stop the ship from going over, but to maybe direct and try to just minimize the damage. Yeah, 100%. Look, man, growing up and watching news as a kid and watching these third world countries fight and their buildings get blown up and they're fighting each other and killing each other. Folks, give it a few months. But We're there. That's what banana republics do. And I've been saying the last couple episodes, we're migrating from a citizen republic to a banana republic. That's right. And we're there. It is happening. We're already seeing it. We're already seeing groups trying to take over cities and city blocks and all sorts of things, tearing down statues. Like, we've already started it. It's not like it's coming. We're here. It's happening. Antifa just threatened if Trump doesn't um, concede. concede by Sunday that they're armed and ready to fight. What the hell is... What I've been taught is that when you intend on doing damage to someone, you just do you don't tell them. So I'm not yeah. going to look No, they're at trying to put fear right. in. They're trying to right. be fear mongers. But what they've not ran into yet was a time where they were not enabled by a Democratic mayor, governor, or state. Right. When they run into the kinds of people that aren't going to tell you we're attacking you Sunday at 6, they're not going to uh, tell you I will fight until my death, but they're just going to show you. I've watched videos of those tough people that are broadcasting what they're going to do, drop their weapons, sure. and run, and hightail it out because they're not protected anymore well, by daddy government. Well, that's why you're not seeing any threats from the folks that I believe we have united with and believe what we believe in. We're, we're not threatening anyone at all. We're the ones being threatened repeatedly by the bully. Well, it's like Mike Tyson said, everyone has a plan to get punched in the face. So I think with that being said, I think we can pontificate on a lot of this stuff, and I think we can go on and on. But I, my, my biggest thing I want to convey as bringing this to a close is 
that we're here. The doctor is bringing us a notice certainty of affliction, if you will, and you can respond however you'd like. I want to continue to encourage people to get close to God, get in your scripture. The idea of repentance has been so heavily on my heart this last week and trying to comprehend and understand what that means. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's Romans 2, 4. I've been telling people, get in the Constitution. If you don't know your rights, you don't know that they're going to be taken. And at this point, I've probably sounded like a broken record. But listen, like that article we read earlier, it's time for mass civil disobedience. Martin Luther King, Gandhi, these people like we look up to, they demonstrated the power of civil disobedience in a nonviolent setting. So with that being said, I want to thank everybody again for listening, for subscribing. We are now on Rumble. Please subscribe. Please share there. We're doing very well. I'm very impressed. We are currently on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, currently YouTube. Subscribe there while we while you still can. We're doing well on our social media, Parlor and Gab specifically. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just want to continue to ask you guys to share. This is how we're getting around a lot of the censorship. We need you to share. If you are in agreement with us, share. If you know people that need to hear this, maybe you don't know how to voice your concerns, share. Want to wish you guys a Merry Christmas and be good. Be blessed. Side came out.